Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Liquid Church Crime Lab. Uh, I am Pastor Tim, and I'm glad you're here for the start of our series, Cold Case Christianity, in which we are examining the evidence of the historic truth claims of the Christian faith in a pretty unique way. How many of you have ever watched the TV show CSI? Have you seen CSI? CSI Miami? Those are some good-looking cops, okay? That is, uh, if you have, basically every show is about kind of a team of homicide detectives who are presented with a murder case to solve. And every episode begins with a body. They find a body that's been found, and then they collect blood and fingerprints and DNA. They take it back to their lab where they compare the forensics with, you know, the bullets or the weapons. And what they do is they interrogate the suspects. They interview the eyewitnesses. Then they piece together the cause or the motive. And then they convince the jury, convict the killer, solve the crime all in 45 minutes or or less. Very popular show. A lot of knockoffs like it. NCIS, you know, Criminal Minds, Law and Order. And I was like, why do you think our culture loves these like true crime shows. And I think there's a reason, and that is we are increasingly a nation of skeptics. We are living in a modern world that is very technologically advanced, and more and more people are doubting that you can ever really know the real truth about something unless you can examine the hard evidence, see for yourself, and then use science and reason to establish reality. As modern people, it's like we have a built-in bias against the supernatural. And maybe you're here today and you do too. In fact, maybe you have a family member or a friend and you know what they think when you say, you know, you know, my faith. They think, well, taking a step of faith, I know what that means. It means you have to check your brain at the door, right? I'm coming to church today and, you know, they're going to talk about the virgin birth or Noah's Ark. And it's like, come on, these are fairy tales. This is 2014. I have my MBA, okay? I'm a man or a woman of reason. And faith is the opposite of reason, right? That's what it is. Faith is a leap in the dark. When you can't possibly know the facts, you just sort of believe, right? Wrong. Christianity is not simply based on conjecture or wishful thinking or even emotions, as a lot of people assume. Rather, there is hard evidence for the, the core truths of the Christian faith. Evidence that you can investigate and put those central claims to the test in the Bible. That's, that's what we gave you today. You have one probably in your hands, a Bible. We're going to be looking into it because it contains several eyewitness testimonies from the first century about the person known as Jesus of Nazareth. If you're a skeptic, you, we call these the Gospels. And if you're a skeptic, you say, well, that's the problem. I'm not sure I believe the Bible. I mean, isn't this like religious mythology? I'm more like Thomas, right? I'm kind of the doubter. And you guys don't take that stuff literally, do you? Actually, we do. And listen, we're not afraid to examine the evidence for its truth. Because at the center of our faith is the central truth claim that there really was a man named Jesus Christ who really lived in the first century. And he claimed to be the son of God, that he was divine. Even outside sources corroborate that was his claim. Historians know, and again, this is without the Bible, Jesus was executed in the year 33 AD on a Roman cross under Pontius Pilate. All of those are just historical facts, not unique to Christianity. Plenty of outside sources confirm the facts of Jesus' life and his death in first century Palestine. But the controversy 
centers around the controversial claim of Christianity that although Jesus died and he was buried, three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead. In other words, there's no body in the bag, right? And this is the real controversy at the center of the Christian faith. By the way, this is a legit coroner's bag, okay? And, uh, and, and this is the defining truth. I want you to think about this. If, if bodies in the bag, our faith is bogus. Everything that we talk about today. If Jesus just died and his bones are in the ground somewhere in the Middle East or he was thrown in the Dead Sea, just rotting in the dust, Jesus is just a legend. Then our faith is bogus. We believe as Christians that the resurrection of Jesus is not a myth, that it's not a legend, that it's not even a parable. Rather, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central defining truth claim of Christianity. And it's pretty provocative because either it really happened in history or Christianity is worthless. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He writes this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and what? So is your faith. Translation, if there's a body in the bag, the Christian faith is bogus. And you may be visiting today and believe that, okay? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're a skeptic. You took a chance. We want to honor your intellectual integrity for actually coming and leaning in. But if you think about it, that's the claim of most people, uh, modern minds. They say, well, religion is just a crutch for weak people who need comfort, you know, when hard things are happening. And we live now in an age of increasing atheism and agnosticism. Folks like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, who are increasingly hostile and challenging the veracity of Christianity. That's because they have a naturalistic worldview that says, you know what? If you can't explain something by the laws of nature or physical matter or science, then it couldn't possibly happen. Which means this, you Christians, at best Christianity is a fable, at worst it's a lie from the pit of hell. Critics would claim, how can you possibly establish the truth of something that happened 2,000 years ago? I mean, even if I give you that Jesus' tomb was empty, that his body was missing, how do you know his disciples didn't steal the body? How do you know they didn't take the body and, and you know, toss it in the river like they do in Jersey? How, how, how do you you know that maybe he didn't recover? He wasn't, you know, they put a fake person on the cross or he recovered from his wounds and later they added the resurrection as a legend. Isn't that how most legends work, right? There's the original event or person, but then it like morphs over time because people have fuzzy memories. They add to it over decades and centuries and voila, it's Easter, you know, Easter bunnies and empty tombs. That's just how it works. But what if I told you that there was hard evidence for Christianity that stands up to scientific scrutiny, that you could weigh, examine, and see for yourself if you have the intellectual integrity to pursue it using the real-life skills of a homicide detective. See, if you think about it, Christianity is a lot like a cold case investigation. There is a violent event that occurred in the distant past, but it has no living eyewitnesses. Little or no direct forensic evidence. There's no DNA or blood or fingerprints, right? The body's missing. And that's why detectives call them cold cases, because the evidence has gone cold. But every year, there are investigators who open the books, they reopen the case, and they take a fresh look at the eyewitness testimonies. They use outside sources to corroborate their claims and make a convicting case for its truth. And that's what we're going to do in the series. We are going to take an unbiased look at the Bible. What does it actually claim about the eyewitness accounts of Christ. Are they historical record, or are they kind of supernatural myths? Were the, were the writers lying, or even just exaggerating? Were they driven by some ulterior motive, like trying to get rich or famous, or 
or covering something up. Because if the body's in the bag, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, our whole faith is bogus. The resurrection of Christ is the centerpiece of the Jenga game. So today, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lay the groundwork. And then next Sunday, you're going to hear from Jay Warner Wallace, a real-life L.A. homicide detective, who for over 30 years was a devout atheist. He actually never read the Bible. He dismissed it as superstition. Until one day, he said, hey, I'm going to actually use my cold case techniques to examine the evidence for myself. And he realized Christianity was a lot like the cases that he had as a CSI detective, cases that we have to gather evidence, eyewitnesses, corroborate the truth of outside sources. And what Wallace did is use his forensic skills and applied them to the New Testament. And what he concluded is that the historical case for Christianity was as convincing as any case he ever worked on as a detective. And after three decades as a rabid atheist, Detective Wallace is now one of the world's most respected apologists, appearing on shows like NBC's Dateline, etc. And he's coming to Liquid next week, so be here. What I want to do today is establish the truth claims of Christianity to start so we know what we're actually dealing with. So would you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Again, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is on page 801. And this actually, when we say it's a book of the Bible, not really. This is a letter. Did you know that? Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the year 55 AD. And he's going to kind of lay out for you what the central claims are and then watch what he does with this. This is fascinating. Paul writes this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have what? Let's say the words together. You have taken your stand. In other words, Paul's like, the whole thing is built on this, what I'm about to say. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have what? You have believed in vain. And here it is. For what I receive, I passed on to you. Here's a testimony. I'm giving it to you. As a first importance, here, number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. B, that he was buried. And three, that he was what? Raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The bag's empty. Now watch this. And that he appeared... To Cephas, who's Cephas? That's the Greek for Peter. He first appeared to the apostle Peter, and then to the rest of the disciples, the 12. Now watch. After that, he appeared to more than how many? 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. I'm writing this in 55 AD. You could ask them, though some have fallen asleep or died. Now watch this. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul. Stop there. What you realize is Paul is giving a factually based summary of a historical event that he says literally happened in the first century. He's saying there are multiple eyewitness testimonies and accounts that living people had, encounters they had with Christ after he was raised from the dead. And he actually names names. He identifies his sources. That's the first thing a detective does. I said, who's your sources? He says, well, Jesus first appeared to Peter, then the rest of the disciples, and then watch this. 500 brothers and sisters, most of whom are still living. He's basically like, I'm not making this up, dude. Go ask them yourself. He was writing this letter to people who knew those 500 people. He said, you go ask them. Because then he appeared to James, Jesus' half-brother, and then to me, even me. We had a little run-in on the road to uh, Damascus, a little fender bender. These are eyewitness accounts, Paul says, in the flesh, each of us had with the risen Christ. 
And if you don't believe that, then you have believed in vain. If the body's still in the bag, your faith is bogus. And this style of argument, of legal reasoning, that Paul is using here is a technique called reductio ad absurdum. This is a little Latin. Let's say it together. Reductio ad absurdum. It means reduction to the absurd. And in Paul's day, this was a form of legal argument that proved something was false by showing how absurd it would be were it true. So for instance, like, are rocks heavy? Yes. Rocks have weight? Yes. Rocks have weight. Otherwise, we'd see them floating in the air. That's absurd. We know they have weight. The earth must be round. Otherwise, we'd fall off the edge. That was a belief, but now we realize that's ridiculous. You take a fact and you say, hey, if this were true, and then this and this, then that would be true. And that's absurd. That's ridiculous. Reductio ad absurdum. And this Greek method of legal reasoning that Paul employs here in 1 Corinthians 15, he goes on to give us four evidences or proofs of the truth of the resurrection. You guys know at a crime scene, you always see a detective laying these things. These are forensic tags. This is what an investigator does when they come to the crime scene. First, they establish, they say, well, there are the bullet casings. There's a drop of blood. Oh, here's the third bullet casing. This one's not fired. And what they do is they chain link different evidences or proofs to make a case that they then take to a judge or jury. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's going to give you four legal proofs that if Christ wasn't raised, if the body's still in the bag, the first thing Paul says is Christianity, it's a hoax. You can fill that in in your notes. If you're taking notes, I put these four things in there that we've outlined, and you can kind of follow along here. But what is a hoax? You guys know what a hoax is? A hoax is a deliberately fabricated lie that is dressed up and made to masquerade as truth. You've probably seen this photo. Take a look at the photo on the side screens here. What is that? Lock this monster, right? Massive creature with a long neck peering out of a Scottish Highlands, right? That image was the greatest hoax up until about 1990 when people started learning about Photoshop, okay? This photo was, for many years, people were like, that's the Loch Ness Monster. And when they actually, when they analyzed it, they realized it was quite small, about two feet long. It's most likely a swan or a water bird poking its head up, but they blew it up to distort it. That's what a hoax is. And Paul's saying here, in essence, here's the deal, Christians. If Jesus wasn't literally raised back to life, if his body's still in the, the bag, it's just a skeleton rotting in the Middle East somewhere, then all of you are suckers of what it mounts to the most elaborate hoax in the history of the world. Christianity is a grand delusion that dwarfs the Loch Ness Monster. Think about it. It was a global conspiracy that began with 12 guys who dropped out of high school who found 500 other gullible suckers, and together they came up with this story to keep the legend of Jesus going, right? So it basically says these guys love Jesus so much. He was a great moral teacher. When he died, they're like, oh, we're heartbroken. He's not coming back. Now we're, we, didn't, we gave up the fishing business, you know, for this. But wait, I got an idea. And they gathered together in the upper room. They said, hey, I know his body's rotting in the ground and we're small, but, but what we'll do is, We'll, we'll pay off the Roman guards, P.S., who lose their life if they, miss, if they let someone break into the tomb. And we're going to do this. We're going to tell everybody in the whole city that he rose from the dead and then this. You take it to Greece. 
I will take it to Asia. And then eventually we're going to take it all the way to Rome, to the seat of the Roman Empire, where we will trick Constantine and all of Rome will convert to Christianity. Does this sound like a plan? It's good, yeah? All right, everyone in. Ready? Go! (laughs) That's a pretty good hoax. Reductio ad absurdum, Paul says. It's absurd if you kick the tires. See, what most people don't understand is that as Christians, we don't believe the resurrection is true because the Bible tells us so. Last year, over 3,000 people read the New Testament cover to cover, and what we discovered is the Bible is not a book. It's a library. It is a collection of historical documents, eyewitness accounts, letters, historical accounts that were written by multiple firsthand witnesses over the first several decades. And each one verifies what the other is saying. Did you know that's why there's four Gospels? Not, to, not that they contradict, but to corroborate. That's what you do when you come upon a crime scene. You say, what did you see? What did you see? What did you see? What did you see? And compare the stories. For instance, the Apostle Luke, here's how he states the purpose of his Gospel. Look what he says. He says, I myself have what? Carefully investigated everything from the beginning so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Anybody know what Luke did for a living? What was Luke? He was a doctor, exactly. He was a man of science. And he said, my purpose in recording this gospel, this testimony, is to investigate the facts carefully. I'm going to interview firsthand eyewitnesses, and I'm going to organize the evidence so that you guys can know the certainty of everything you're being taught that this happened. So Luke's gospel was written by a Greek doctor with a scientific bias. And when he reports the facts of Jesus's resurrection, he says that when the women went to the grave on the first day of the week, the body was missing. But they were met by two angels who said this, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. Say this together. He has risen. In other words, the body's not in the bag. And this is one of the reasons that secular historians say, if any of the gospels are true, Luke's is definitely the one that's true. Because they said if Luke was fabricating the story, if he was trying to come up with a convincing story, he never would have chosen women as the one to report on the resurrection. If he wanted to spread the story, you'd tell the women. But if you want to hold up... <laughs> sorry, I just lost half the audience. But if, you, <laughs> but, but if you want to corroborate it, women's testimony was invalid in the first century. Patriarchal culture, totally sexist. A woman's testimony was not admissible in a court of law. And yet here comes Luke, a brilliant man in full knowledge of the sexist bias, and he bases the entire truth of his gospel on the testimony of women. And secular historians say either Luke is a sloppy scam artist, or that's how it really happened. Because nobody would include that kind of embarrassing bias in their eyewitness testimony. In fact, Luke describes how the rest of the apostles actually didn't believe the women at first. They were skeptics. Look what it says. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now watch this. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like what? Like nonsense. Like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about is empty. We saw him on the cross be speared. We saw that goes in the tomb. We saw the stone. We saw the guards. That's ridiculous. Watch. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. 
And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away what? Wondering to himself, what happened? What, what the? Dude, is he, he's got... WTF, why the face? What, what, I don't, he didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. He just said, I don't understand what's going on here. In other words, the disciples didn't believe. The jury was out in their minds. It was only after Jesus physically appeared behind locked doors that they finally came to faith. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. You ever wonder why Jesus says, peace be with you? Dead guy shows up in a room, chillax, all right? He's kind of like, relax. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? I wonder why. And why do what? Doubts rise in your minds. I understand you're skeptics, but I want you to look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, let's say that together, touch me and see. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, we touched him. We saw him, and there are hundreds of us, hundreds of people in the first century that can verify this. We saw him, we met with him, we ate with him, we saw the resurrected Christ and touched him. And listen, if the body's still in the bag, this whole thing's bogus. Throughout the rest of the scriptures as well, reductio ad absurdum, there's a hole in your Bible. It's absurd. This becomes the most elaborate scam perpetrated on thousands of people by a bunch of ragtag fishermen and powerless women in the first century. So Christianity is a hoax. Not only that, number two, the disciples were delusional. (laughs) Conspiracy theory number two, Paul says here. He says, because if these accounts are really a conspiracy, you know what that means? All 12 of these guys went to their graves and suffered violent, grisly deaths, willing to die for a lie. I want you to think about this. Have you ever lied? We've all, no? Now you're lying, okay? (laughs) We have all told some whoppers in life, right? Yeah? Question, would you be willing to be beheaded, boiled alive, skinned, crucified upside down just to keep the story going? Think about this. To me, this is the most convincing truth of Jesus' resurrection, the death of all 12 disciples. Every single apostle, with the exception of John, Died one, of the most, died one of the most violent martyrs' death for refusing to recant their faith. Think about the gospel writers. Just begin with Matthew. Matthew, he was executed by sword. He was martyred in Ethiopia. How about Mark? He died in Egypt after being dragged by horses through the streets because he wouldn't took back what he said about Jesus being raised from the dead. And what became of Luke, by the way? The good doctor, he was hanged in Greece because of his bold preaching to the lost. And they said, we don't believe in any resurrection. John, the only one to escape the sword, died in prison on the island of Patmos. He's the only one ever die of old age, albeit in prison. How about James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. First off, time out. Can you imagine having Jesus as an older brother? You just imagine, right? Like you just have a bad day at school, you come home and your parents are like, you know, why can't you be more like your brother? You know, Jesus, just like... I mean, how bad would that be? And the truth is, at first, James did not believe that Jesus, you know, claimed to be God. How many of you have a brother, okay? I mean, can I ask an obvious question? What would your brother have to do to prove he was God, right? 
like maybe rise from the dead? (laughs) James didn't believe his own brother until he saw him resurrected from the dead. And then James went on to lead the entire church in Jerusalem until they threw him from the roof of the temple because he refused to recant what he saw. And after he hit the ground, he was still alive. And historians record he was stoned to death. The rest of the disciples suffered very similar grisly fates. Peter, he was crucified upside down. According to tradition, he told his tormentors he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Christ had died. That's taking the joke a little far, guys. Reductio ad absurdum. What was the message that got each of these men martyred for their faith? Peter preached it in Acts. He said, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all, what's the word? witnesses of it. They didn't die for what they believed. They died for what they said they saw. That's what caused the persecution. It is one thing to say, well, Jesus is a good moral teacher. I think he had some good ethics to live by to have a good life. It's another thing to say, I saw him. I touched him. I ate with him. And you can try to beat it out of me, You can, but I'm not going to back down. I will not recant what I saw my Lord do, and I'm willing to be tortured and die because I believe God raised Jesus to life and catch it. He's going to raise me as well, so go for it. That was their message. They staked their life on a fact. Even Thomas are you like Thomas? Are you a skeptic? The doubter who put his, I'm not going to believe in stuff. I put my finger in there. Even Thomas took news of Jesus's resurrection all the way to India where he was speared to death planting churches as a missionary. Eleven of the apostles died violent grisly deaths, including Paul, P.S., whose letter you hold in your hands. Paul was executed in Rome by Nero in 67 AD. Death by decapitation. That's his head in the painting rolling on the ground. Now you think about this. What are the chances that 12 grown men would construct a grand hoax because they so fancied the teachings of Jesus that when faced with excruciating torture and death, rather than recant their lie, instead said, no, you know what? I'd rather be speared beaten, hanged, boiled alive, skinned, crucified upside down, just to keep the hoax going. Reductio ad absurdum, Paul says. It's absurd beyond belief. The disciples would have to be delusional. Not only that, but watch this. In the decades that followed, the thousands of converts who believed them, thousands of converts to Christ in Rome, rather than admit that they were duped, they chose to be mauled by lions in the Colosseum. Look at that painting. Those are the Christians in the background who were smeared in pitch and set aflame to light Nero's garden parties. They voluntarily chose to die for a lie. A legend? I don't think so. Reductio ad absurdum. Christianity is not based on a feeling. It's based on fact. As C.S. Lewis said, look at this. Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance. Don't bother with it. If true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. See, the claims of Christianity leave little wiggle room for fuzzy thinking. Jesus didn't die because he's like, I'm a really good teacher. I'm going to die to give you a few principles for living a better life. You can't just admire the man and ignore his claims. Either he was really resurrected or the rest of us are nuts. If the body's in the bag, 
Our whole faith is bogus. And generally speaking, this is my bias. I'm just going to tell you my bias. When someone predicts their own murder, death, and resurrection, and they come back to life, general rule, I'm going with that guy. Okay, that's just me. I'm biased. I'm just going to show you my bias. Guys, to deny the truth, listen to me, of what millions of men and women and martyrs have sacrificed down through the ages, that it was all a lie, I don't have enough faith for that. Would you die for a lie? If Christ has not been raised, then Christianity is a hoax. The disciples were delusional. And catch this, your faith is futile. Tag number three. Paul writes this in verse 17. Look what he says. He says, Christ has not been raised. Your faith is futile. What's futile mean? Worthless. There's no point to any of what we're doing. You have nothing to show for this. I know we come here and we sing some songs. Nobody's listening to this, okay? This is you just like, like you know, it makes me feel a little bit better. You know when you pray, like, it, it's just a comfort. It's a, a mental exercise that allows you to feel like maybe someone's listening. None of it counts. Everything that we do in the name of Christ, those baptisms, P.S., last fall, dozens of men and women, boys and girls, got into a tub of water. They drank the Kool-Aid. They put on t-shirts that said, I'm forgiven, or I've decided to follow a lie, reductio ad absurdum. You were here. We baptized dozens of people ranging from 12 years old to 92 years old who had their own doubts and questions. And you know what? Many of them were skeptics, like my friend David Deutsch. David grew up Jewish. He was very agnostic, and he's an intellectual guy. And he's like, I have some serious skepticism about Christianity. But give David credit. He didn't check his brain at the door. Instead, he decided to examine the evidence for himself. Hi, my name is David, and I'm here to give you my testimony. Um, I was brought up in a Jewish family, but more Jewish by ethnicity and culture than by religion. After the bar mitzvah, there was really no religious grounding. And I always, growing up, I always felt like there was something missing. That is what caused me over time to, to realize that I need to do some soul searching on my own and with God's help. So I started to read the Bible. My wife Jane and I decided that uh, we were going to go looking for a church so that we could have our kids grow up with a religious grounding and not have that God-shaped hole in their soul. I met a few times with Pastor Tim, told him my story. He recommended reading some books like Mere Christianity. And then I also got recommendations on other books to read. One of those books was More Than a Carpenter. The author goes into um, how well documented the New Testament is. And it really says that if, it's, if you believe in any book from antiquity, any, any book about history, really, you really need to believe that the New Testament is factual because it's so well documented, so, so much better documented than any other book. So once I made that leap of faith, that it was based on fact, then it was pretty clear to me, it was pretty obvious, that Jesus was who he says he was, the Messiah. And he's come, and he came to die for our sins on the cross. But it took me a, a while, really, to get over this, this hump. Like, you know, I felt like I was really, am, am I pushing away my Jewish heritage? by accepting Jesus as the Messiah. And I don't think, now I really don't think that's true at all, because Jesus was Jewish. 
This is kind of a natural step for Jews to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And I'm not shunning my cultural background. And I'm still Jewish by culture. Um, I just believe that Jesus was who he says he was. And so now I want to tell the world <laughs> that um, I'm saved by Jesus. And I hopefully, hopefully with this testimony, I can maybe affect one or two people and um, have them realize that you know, you're not really shunning your, your culture if you're Jewish and you're coming to the Lord. It is our honor, David, that now that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and your Messiah, to baptize you fully by immersion in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and His Son, Christ. <laughs> Congrats, man. Awesome, buddy. about David is that he is a brilliant man. He is an intellectual, he has an analytical mind. But he didn't let his cultural bias get in the way. He had the intellectual integrity to examine the evidence for himself, actually go back to the source scriptures and follow that evidence wherever it led and then received it as personal truth. But see, if there's no resurrection, what is that? Religious delusion? Another suck up off the scam? If Christ is truly alive, then that means he has conquered sin and death, and he is our Messiah, our Savior and Lord. Amen? Scripture says if Jesus was just a moral teacher, then we have no hope. What is your theory? What's your worldview for how this whole thing ends? That's Paul's final argument in 1 Corinthians. He says, if we only for this life have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be what? Pity. Do you know what the root word is? Pathetic. He's like, if Jesus just gave some tips for a, a, an inspirational life for your 70 or 80 years on earth, then you are pathetic. If the body is still in the bag, somewhere in the ground, Jesus has turned to dust, his bones are rotting in Palestine, so will you, pathetic. You have no hope when you die. You know what your vision is? Here's the vision. You go back in the bag, they zip it up, they drop you in the ground, case closed. That's life. What a powerful vision of hope. What does your worldview tell you happens at the end? Christianity, by contrast, says that, you know what? When we die, our physical body, yes, goes in the ground. But our true inner man or woman, our spiritual soul, goes to be with the Lord. And on the day of resurrection, our body and soul will be reunited just like Jesus. Because he is our pattern. What happened to him is going to happen to us. And so everything matters. Everything matters. When you lose someone you love, you grieve, but you don't grieve without hope. This is why Paul says, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus conquered the grave, death has been defeated. Yes, we still suffer. Yes, we have the temporary effects of sin and disease in a broken world. But we have the hope of heaven, amen? That's what gives your life on earth purpose and meaning. Because then you understand, everything you do now on earth counts for eternity. If it doesn't, why even bother trying to make a difference? Why would you bother feeding homeless people in Newark on Friday nights? You don't even know their name. They've got crazy amount of problems. The complexity of the social fabric is so ruined. Why bother? 
Why bother volunteering with kids with special needs like some of you do? Some of you work one-on-one with kids with autism and Asperger's. Why, why do you do that? You're just sensitive people. Why did some of you travel to Nicaragua last month to bring clean water to the poorest of the poor in the Western Hemisphere? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we feed the poor, we love the last, we give hope to the hopeless. Why do we do that? Because we're good people? Eh, we're people of the resurrection. And Jesus is putting everything back together, and it gives purpose for everything we do on earth. Because there's a reward in heaven, amen? This is why Christians take care of their aging parents. This is why Christians stand beside a friend who's going to recovery or rehab. We don't condemn them. We have compassion because we know we're people of the resurrection. God's putting it all back together. And if all of our bodies just go back in the bag, case closed, none of it matters. You get Paul's logic? He actually says, look at what he says. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Party on, Garth. Let's just eat and drink and party because when you die, your body's buried. It goes in the ground, case closed. Reductio ad absurdum. It's crazy. The truth is you were created in God's image. All the days of your life were ordained for you before you were born. And you have a spiritual soul that lives forever. You are a human being having a spiritual experience. Uh Uh-uh, you're a spiritual being having a human experience because this is all a warm-up act. And you were created with a destiny and a purpose in God's great universe. That's hope. That's what the early Christians gave their lives for. They believed of the fact of Jesus' resurrection that they proclaimed in 1 Corinthians. I want to read this together. All our campuses. Can we do this big, loud voice? Ready? By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. One more time. He will what? Raise us also. He will raise us also. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? It is a fact connected to a promise. Christ was raised first, then you, then you, then me. That's our hope. That's the good news. And it's what millions of people have staked their lives on for the last 2,000 years. If you don't believe that, can I ask, why not? Honest moment, can I lean in a little bit on you? Have you examined the evidence for yourself? Let me go back and challenge you with the words of C.S. Lewis. Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance. Don't bother. And if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. The truth claims of Christ leave you no choice. Either it is all a lie, or it is truth with a capital T. And you need to wrestle with it personally, point by point. Have the intellectual integrity to do what my friend David did. You don't have to turn off your brain to be a believer. It's just the opposite. You have to dig a little and think for yourself. Better yet, read it for yourself. I want to challenge you this week. Read the Gospel of Mark. If you're like, I'm starting to investigate this myself, read the Gospel of Mark. First off, it's the shortest gospel. But I want you to evaluate the claims of Jesus. Let him actually speak for himself. And then come back next week to hear J. Warner Wallace dissect this. Over 30 years, he was a rabid atheist until he applied his cold cast te- techniques to the Bible. And here's what he's going to address. He's going to address questions that you have right now that I know. You're like, how do we know the Gospels are even reliable? Weren't they written decades later? I heard you say that today. These are tens of years later. What about discrepancies in the Bible? I mean, come on. There's details in the Bible that contradict or disagree. There's thousands of manuscripts, and, and let's be honest, right? There's no cut and paste. He's got to have copying errors. 
Jim is a brilliant speaker. I have seen his presentation, and it is compelling. He is going to teach us how prosecutors are trained to evaluate witnesses, chain of custody, dates and times. He's going to share a lot of cop stories, real-life stories, cases that he solved by examining evidence from the distant past. Absolutely fascinating. We're going to have copies of his book signed on hand at every campus. So I want to challenge you today to invite the skeptic in your life next week. In your program today, we put two invite cards, and I want you to think of two people right now. Who is the biggest skeptic in your family? Who's the biggest cynic? Who's the biggest neighbor, the guy at the gym, or that dude at work, or the one in the mom's group that you go walking with, who's kind of a cynic, and basically they don't, they don't like, you know, they discount Christianity based on what the sound bites they hear on CNN, okay? That's where most people are. It's about soundbite Christianity. I want you to invite them next week, and especially if you know a cop, invite the cop. Cops are the biggest skeptics of all, okay? And Jim actually talks like the hardened atheist he is. He's a just-the-facts man, no-nonsense kind of guy. I'm a preacher. This guy's a cop, okay? Invite your doubter friend. Give him the book because it is possible to believe in Jesus Christ because of the evidence rather than in spite of it. Amen? Let me pray right now. All our campuses, would you bow your heads? God, we thank you for truth. In a world of relativism where, well, that's true for you but not for me. No, there's truth, Lord. We believe that. We believe there's truth, but we know it doesn't require us to check our brain at the door. Father, you really sent Jesus who lived and died and was raised from the dead and will come back to judge the living and the dead. And we believe that. We have staked our lives on it. But Lord, I pray right now. I just want to thank you for our skeptical friends and neighbors. God, for people who aren't there yet, they're just kicking the tires of Christianity or maybe they're rethinking their faith. Father God, I pray right now would you give them the courage, the intellectual integrity to pursue you, to pursue truth for themselves and decide for themselves what to believe? Father God, we thank you for a faith that is robust enough to stand up to 2,000 years of scrutiny and worse. And Father, we're, we are grateful to call your son our savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.